0: OWS fam, Sharp Football Analysis Nation. We are back for another episode of Searching for Ceiling this, your beautiful, lovely holiday edition, week 16 style. We're leaving a week in week 15 where I knew that there would be an inherent edge for us sickos that are putting in the work because we're in the holiday season. We have the split slate. We had it last week on the Saturday slate, the Sunday slate, and that led to this like main idea of that slate being time we you know we figured the field didn't have the time to put in the requisite effort for that slate that my friends is only magnified this week in week 16 we have 3 games on Saturday or sorry 2 games on Saturday we have the 3 Monday night football games on Monday for Christmas that leaves us with a nice tidy little tight Nine-game slate for the main slate in week 16. So with that, let us amplify our time and search for ceiling here. One week season. I'm over here pushing the wrong buttons and stuff, dude. It's fine. We're just clicking buttons. What's going on, Rich? Look at your yeah, yeah. holiday cheer,
1: man. I'm over here, Mr. Grinch. <laughs> yeah, listen, the monkeys operate in the machines. You know, they back here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, listen, I, I, hopefully a lot of people are are, are hanging around, you know, and I, I imagine a lot of people have skipped out of work already today, uh, or, maybe, oh, yeah. or maybe not around at noon Eastern uh, on a Friday before Christmas, but hopefully if you guys are, you're ready to lock in on some, you know, this, this slate, like you said, nine games, the way it's chopped up, and the, the games that we have left over uh, have created a unique uh landscape for us i just just say i don't know but i could lack of a better word but uh yeah it, it, there is there's some stuff out here yeah so let's take a quick look at this slate
0: before we start <laughs> asking those important questions and we have this interesting dynamics of this slate we'll jump into a little bit more of that here shortly but quick overview seahawks traveling in tennessee take on the titans game total of 41 and a half the lions and the vikings With a game total of 47.5, and and I just got done writing up this game this morning because uh, I failed at time management this week. This game has a much wider range of outcomes, I think, than the field is going to give credit for. We'll talk about that here shortly. We've got the Browns, the pass-happy Browns, taking on the Houston Texans, likely to be without CJ Stroud, 40.0. The Colts and the Falcons. Again, another game with an extremely wide range of potential outcomes. We have competing like ideologies of these two teams with a solid game total of 44.5. The beautiful commanders taking on the not-so-beautiful jets, 37.0. The Packers and the Panthers, the run fest of our year of our Lord 2023, half. Uh, Jaguars and Bucks, this one seems low to me. Again, these game totals are very interesting to me. We'll talk about what that means to us here. A low-ish game total of 41 points. Cardinals and the Bears, 43. And then your game of the week, Dallas Cowboys traveling to Miami, take on the Dolphins, 50.0. Now, Rich, I mentioned no less than three of those games were very interesting to me from a, I don't know if I agree with this game total perspective. We had the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Bucks at 41. Mm -hmm. We had the Colts and the Falcons at 44 and a half. And we had the Lions and Vikings at 47 and a half. What is your read on those three games? And we'll start there today.
1: Yeah, yeah. Two of those three, I'm definitely interested. I already have written up as, you know, I'm going to attack and like small field onslaughts, uh, Lions, Vikings and Bucks Jack Bucks. Uh, I've been targeting the Bucks games for, you know, since we've been on this show all year. Like yeah. They're a team we target. They have a condensed usage tree really only three players get the football at like a high rate on their team and they don't defend the pass right and now they're facing a team that can't run and also cannot defend the pass so i mean that game screams to me as long as there's no like weird weather stuff popping up in that game i know earlier in the week there was some of that obviously we have the trevor lawrence uh availability like up in the air saga we'll call it a saga i mean listen somehow we can't count trevor lawrence out it looks like there's like three different times this year it looked like he was for sure gonna miss the game and yeah he's he's in the lineup like when it comes to kickoff so he hasn't been ruled out yet i saw he's actually going to practice today so here we go again right but uh, i actually think if cj bethard plays in that game there's still a path for that game to get there as well so i'm not necessarily even worried about that and that kind of is where I want to start before we jump in these games is yep. this nine game slate again for the third week in a row on the main Sunday slate we are we have a reduced number of high ceiling quarterbacks and mm-hmm. that has really impacted the way to play DFS. Now last week it opened up the path where it was like an old school team jammin. Man, you know I flippantly talked about team jammin a couple weeks ago when we were at yeah. like Tyreek and CMC, but if for everyone that doesn't remember, Team Jam in was like, you know, the, the old school, like David Johnson, Todd Gurley, CMC, Antonio Brown days. You would pay for two of those guys up, not really care, pay down at quarterback. But what, what made those days kind of obsolete was we had this influx of quarterbacks that were dual threat assets that had access to a ceiling that was harder to arbitrage with paying down at quarterback. You know, the guys that could get you 35 points, the Josh Allens, the Jalen Hurts. You know, we had a Desha- you know, Deshaun Watson's run. But these last three weeks, we've seen it kind of shift back where we haven't had those options. We've had, you know, the two weeks ago we had Lamar Jackson versus the Rams. Uh, this week we have Justin Fields. But, like, you're, you only need one of those guys to fail or with just the fact that quarterback ownership never explodes to where a guy's, like, 30% owned. It's yeah. opened the door now for we've seen, like, a lot of these – 5K to 6K quarterbacks now really make their imprint and really swing the field uh, on these slates because we don't have to combat the 35-point games from quarterbacks. And that's probably what we have here again. Now, it's not an old-school team jamming because we don't have like the clear pay-up guys, but it is another wide-open slate where a lot of these backup quarterbacks, uh, a lot of these 6K and under quarterbacks are completely viable to build around again this week. I
0: 100% agree, and I love that theoretical discussion on like how do we take what we're seeing from the macro state of the slate and then develop a game plan around it. So love that discussion. Um, let's talk now about that Buccaneers game, because I have a feeling you might be interested in some of those quarterbacks as well. How you see in that game? I know you talked up um, the potential that we have two pass funnel defenses going against two offenses that like to pass the ball.
1: Yeah, and the one cool thing about the Jaguars is they actually are pretty good at stopping the run uh and the Buccaneers have found a little bit of a run game the past month uh at least Rashad White is getting some explosives mixed in to kind of skew his yard totals but I and mean, we've seen him now go over 80 rushing yards in each of the past four weeks I also should caveat this Rashad White also is the most expensive running back on yeah draft games this week to <laughs> Ooh, kind of give you some context of where the slate is yeah. <laughs> at the running back position um But that's cool is the Jaguars actually are stout at stopping the run, and it forces people to kind of attack them where they are the worst defensively right now as well. Uh, Jaguars games are averaging a combined over 500 passing yards per game. Uh, It's the highest in the NFL. The Buccaneers are seventh. So I still do think if C.J. Beathard does play in this game, there is a path for C.J. Beathard to get there. Uh, especially at his price. I mean, 5 1 on DraftKings and 6 1 on FanDuel. Like, we just talked about it. We just ran it down. I think people yeah. will easily get through the Baker side. You know, obviously, Baker is a guy that's been competent all year. He's coming off of a, a, a spike week, 380 passing yards. I mean, Hilo, imagine if we had this conversation in week one where I told you, hey, yeah. in week 15 of the NFL season, there's going to be five quarterbacks that throw for 300 passing yards. They're going to be Baker Mayfield. Joe Flacco, uh, Nick Mullins. Obviously, we had you know uh, Patrick Mahomes and uh, Case Keenum is, is the other guy. You would have looked yeah. at me and said, "How the hell? What steps did we take to get to this, this, uh, this place?" But that's what happened last week in the NFL. Uh, so yeah, it's it's completely wide open though. But we were talking about the individual pieces of this game. I think it's really easy to get to these pass catchers on both sides. Obviously, like, so the like I the Buck side is going to be pretty clean. I think people can navigate their way because only three guys touch the ball: Rashad White, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. And, yeah. But this, but these Jaguars guys, I think are going to be tougher players for people to click. But man, they look it like to be in like really strong objective spots. I mean, you look at Calvin Ridley. He's never been an easy click for, I think, for gamers all season. But, I mean, he is just getting immense value. And now we removed another piece from this offense in Zay Jones. He already has double-digit targets over the past two games. And he's facing a team that has just been flooded by outside wide receivers and wide receiver ones. I mean, Tampa Bay is 28th yeah. in the NFL and points allowed to opposing wide receiver ones. They're allowing 91 receiving yards per game to those wideouts. That's 31st in the NFL. Uh, They also are 23rd in yards per target allowed to outside wide receivers. And then for good measure, Ridley leads the team in target share and yards per route run against the Blitz, and we're getting this Todd Bowles team that's third still in the NFL in Blitz rate. Also, we have Evan Ingram, who I think clearly becomes now the clear number two target in this offense. And he's on a slate where we're going to have immense – ownership drawn to some expensive tight ends it is a really good tight end slate Trey McBride is going to be a really popular bring back and what's going to be the most popular stack of the slate in DJ Moore and Justin Fields and we're also going to have David and Njoku be really popular this week as well so Evan Ingram I think is going to fly under the radar as well so you have like a clear onslaught of dudes and, and affordable and then you can fit in an expensive piece with these I, I love this game man
0: Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm really interested in Evan Ingram because you talked about the fact that Todd Bowles and his blitz rates, um, in that same vein, I was targeting Evan Ingram two weeks ago against a, uh, Cleveland defense that is able to generate pressure. So now add in the fact that he is likely to step into that secondary pass catcher role for this offense. Um, and it could be a situation where he is the relied upon, you know, outlet player over the middle of the field. And I think that actually gains credence should um, we see Beathard start here. Or do you have a anything to respond to that assertion?
1: I mean, well, two weeks ago when Beathard entered the game against the Bengals, he targeted Ingram on almost half of his routes run. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like these, these veteran backup type quarterbacks that come into a game or, or get a spot start they're typically not the ones to be yoloing the field the ball downfield. I mean, these are not every backup quarterback can be Joe Flacco. These are <laughs> typically backup quarterbacks for a reason. They either carry plus arm strength or the ability to process defenses. Most likely, it's latter. the latter. With a backup quarterback being able to process a defense, they're typically veterans and they're able to come in and manage a game. They're not going to be taking these massive shots downfield. Now, Bethard is a below arm strength, below arm, below average arm strength quarterback. There we go. We got it out. Um, that is kind of this guy who's able to diagnose read a defense. So that leads me. I'm actually very, very excited to play Evan Ingram this week. Um, and I think that the likeliest bring back here um is Mike Evans. I haven't looked at ownership. I, but I would expect after back-to-back weeks of double-digit looks for Chris Godwin, I'd expect that he's probably going to see a little bit more interest
1: from the field this week. Um, You've seen the same? I, I don't see either of these guys really like being popular uh, at all. Okay. Uh, and I don't know if it's just because people are waiting to see what happens at Lawrence, or they're just not really on this game. But yeah. neither guy is tracking to be popular. And obviously Mike Evans uh his ownership is always kind of depressed because of where he's priced he's priced underneath the tier of elite wide receivers always every week and that always people either usually pay up or, or go down and skip that tier usually so he's never like yeah. immensely popular uh but yeah I, I mean i agree with you i do like evans the most obviously just because of the scoring equity right i mean yeah. this is this is a guy he's already got 11 touchdowns uh only cd lamb has more end zone targets than mike evans um he has 43% of the Buccaneers end zone targets. That's sixth in the NFL in rate of end zone targets. I, I do think that Godwin is playable again. It doesn't feel point chasey to me because of the matchup, right? Uh, you know, the, the Jaguars are a real heavy zone based team. They're playing zone coverage at the fifth highest rate in the league. And that's where Godwin has been at his best this season. Uh, 25% target rate per outrun, two yards per outrun against zone, as opposed to 18.9% target rate and 1.2 yards per outrun against man. So I do think that there is, it's it's not as point chasey as it might seem on the surface, but I also do prefer Evans because I don't see it being necessary to pay up at wide receiver this week. This just makes it slight weird in general because we don't have the pay up running backs and I don't necessarily think that we have pay up receivers either.
0: Yeah. That was my next talking point to steer this conversation is the like overall macro state of this slate is where do you spend salary? <laughs> and that kind of combines into this, this like psychological, psychological aspect of DFS in 2023, where we're so used to over, you know, dating back to team jam that we that you mentioned earlier. We're so used to, and it's so ingrained in us now to be like, where am I spending up this week? That's just our initial reactions. Like, I need to get this elite ceiling, elite floor type player in my roster. Mm -hmm. Where am I going to spend that salary? This slate, we have very few options at quarterback. Dak, press, to Tua. And then it's all the way down to the sub 7K range at quarterback. So it's unlikely we're spending our salary at quarterback. Running back, as you mentioned, Rashad (laughs) White is the highest priced running back on the damn slate. And you look at wide receiver and it's like, do I Tyree killer CeeDee Lamb or do I not? And that is like a discussion that is probably being had internally for a lot of the field this week. Yep. With that, this is a very, very interesting slate to build these more balanced rosters. Yeah. To build these rosters with a lot of guys in the 5K to 6K range. And I think there are guys in that range that carry some immense upside for us. We'll get into a little bit more of that in a minute. But that is a very just interesting theoretical thought process to get through this week is like, how do we position ourselves in the most optimal position to make the most money over time with obviously caveat there is we have one iteration of this slate, but that's kind of what we're trying to do is it in this game, just place ourselves in plus EV situations. And I think the balanced builds this week is very, very interesting.
1: Yeah. From, from a tournament perspective, I think this slate is, is phenomenal because I think it's wide open, right? Like the field kind of doesn't know what to do. And to me, that's fun. That make that's, that's fun to me. Yeah. Hundred percent. So we talked about
0: the Jags. Any, I guess, any other parting shots with the
1: Jags and the Bucks here? No, I mean, like I said I think it's that that game is pretty clear. It's like an onslaught perspective. perspective. Um, yeah, it, it's fun. It's it's one of these games too. It's gonna be a four o'clock pivot game as well. You know, I I we will talk. I'm sure we're definitely gonna get the Cowboys Dolphins, but yeah, I mean that game. I don't know how many how many players gamers are be able to wedge into their lineups. This is like a, a great four o'clock pivot game. And then you know we're gonna see some popularity at four o'clock, but just between Justin Fields and DJ Moore. So you're gonna be able to get against those guys as well. And like I said yeah, and, and we talked about the 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 you just walked through the, the positions. People are going to have salary to pay for tight end this week, which is going to be unique from other weeks where it's like last week. It's like, do you play Chig or do you play Tucker Craft? The field is on that. This week, people are going to be be choosing. They're going to be able to get to Trey McBride. They're going to be able to get to Njoku um, this week more than uh, weeks past. So that's what I think makes Evan Ingram interesting because you are going to see some actual higher ownership on some of the higher priced tight ends, which we we haven't really seen as meta construction this year. Yeah, 100%. What we have started to see along
0: that same line of of thought, what we have started to see is a little bit increased viability of a two tight end build. We're so used to it being kind of like George Kittle and Travis Kelsey and then everybody else at tight end. This year, we've seen some comparative ceiling games uh, from tight ends compared to wide receivers in their price range. You know, this week we have, you mentioned, we've got TJ Hawkins and Trey McBride, Evan Ingram, Dave Najoku. Um, that's probably, uh, we can throw Cole Komet in there if you want to mess around, dance with that, but not for me. Those four guys, yeah. in addition to Sam Laporta, I mean, have these ceiling type games in their portfolio this year. Are you at all in that discussion of balanced builds? Are you at all interested in
1: like throwing two of these guys in a roster this week? I don't mind because in comparative speaking to where the wide receivers are priced in that range, like in that price range of wide receiver, the only guy that I really kind of want exposure to is Garrett Wilson. And yes. then, and then, so I think that those tight ends like David and I think is just a better play in ter- and look at in volume. Like it's, it's way better than a lot of those 5k receivers. Uh, that, that, that same price range of him, you know, say he's 5,300. If you look at 5,500 to like 5k wide receivers, his target share and his target opportunity plus paired with matchup is just better than all those options. So, uh, that's going to be a roadblock. People are going to have to get over, but I definitely think you can play two of those guys together. 100%
0: 100% this is something I am very interested oh my god it's not I mean it, like the the program the algorithm and DK the UI doesn't even like want you to click two tight ends because it immediately swips uh, sw- like swaps off of the position when you click one this is very very interesting to me, but this me-
1: you're looking look at like five just from five one to like 5k it's Drake London Noah Brown and Joku Romeo Dobbs Evan Ingram Jaden Reed who may or may not play Josh Downs, then Tyler Lockett. Those two tight ends that I named are better plays than all those wide receivers. 100%. (laughs) With you, 100%. And that's going to lead us into
0: one of my favorite games this week. Um, And it is one of those games that I was questioning the game total. And obviously we have CJ Stroud, who's not going to be there. Um, We have Nico Collins coming off a calf injury. But this game, this Browns versus Houston game, Talk about a very unique combination of upside from each offense, the potential for slippies from each defense. Houston's giving up explosives. The Browns, the Browns, number one defense in the league at home, dead last in the league on the road, 30.7 points per game allowed on the road this season. We've talked a lot about home road splits. We've talked a lot about how noisy they are, how much uh, variance is associated with those. But that is stark. (laughs) That is bigly, bigly important, I think, on the slate. The fact that the Browns are allowing 37, 30.7 points per game on the road this year. So that also combines with this idea that like Bobby Slowick, regardless of who is under center, is still going to design an offense that looks to get his primary skill position players in space. There's some more stuff with that we'll talk about here shortly. We've seen all the splits from uh, Scott Barrett regarding the running back usage and the running back performance between uh, Damian Pierce um, and um, Devin Singletary. And yeah, so there's a lot to talk about there. But looking at also the Browns. 44 pass attempts or more. So 44, 44 and 45 in Joe Flacco's three starts this year. Amari Cooper saw five targets in the first game and then left with injury. In the next two games, Amari Cooper and David Njoku combined for exactly 22 targets per game. And that left them over that two game sample with a 49.6% team target market share 44 targets on 89 pass attempts from Joe Flacco. You talk about like upside from a team stack. So let's, let's phrase it like this. Let, let's put this in here. I want to, I want to, I want to go through a little exercise here. If I told you that it was highly likely that a wide receiver priced at 11,700 in salary
1: <laughs>
0: was going to see 22 targets. Would you click that guy's name? Yeah, absolutely. Hell yeah, I would. That is basically what we're getting from the combination of Amari Cooper and David Njoku in this spot. Now you add the very, very low price, 5500 best friend price of Joe Flacco into this. And we're like off to the races from a high floor, high ceiling combination. Now we look at the other side. I mentioned the running back splits between Devin Singletary um, and Damian Pierce. Devin Singletary more than doubles Damian Pierce's efficiency. So his yards per carry, his explosives, his um, yards generated before contact, his yards generated after contact, basically across the board. More than doubles Damian Pierce's efficiency metrics against zone gap concepts. That's very important because now Bobby Slowick with two healthy offensive tackles is running a ton of zone gap run blocking scheme. That's very interesting to me in the spot. Devin Singletary is only 5,500 and you can go to Devin Singletary. You can go to Nico Collins, who Nico Collins, my friends, has a top five target rate against man coverage. Who are they playing? A Cleveland defense that leads the league in man coverage this season. So you can go all kinds of places. If you want to bring this back, this is one of my favorite game environments on the slate. And I think it's going to go again. Have not caveat. I've not looked at ownership. I think it's going to go largely overlooked with that low game total of 41 points. What say you here,
1: dude? <laughs> yeah. There's a, let's say you're speaking my language. Cause I already wrote up this, this double with the Singletary bring back as one yes! of the core stacks. Uh, what you look at, well, it's not just the, the the raw pass attempts at Flacco. It's the pass rate over expectation. I mean, they're 4%, 6%, and 6% throw. That means the confidence. They're calling more pass plays than they should be calling given in game situation. Also, when you pair that with this matchup, the one thing, again, the the, the Texans are like the Jaguars. They're consistently good against the run. Right. Mm-hmm. Hey, D. Hember was stopped in its tracks last week. Oh, oh dude, uh, shut, down. <laughs> like, shut down. Like the, historically, the lowest yard output for a running back seeing 20 touches in NFL history. <laughs> that was crazy. Yep. So the Browns also, they've had this cattywampus run game for basically since, you know, they lost Nick Chubb. Uh, is probably going to be pushed to throw the football. You look at Amari Cooper. It's not just that he's been targeted on a hair under 26 percent of his routes with Joe Flacco. It's that he has a 14.8% inaccurate target rate with Flacco. With P.J. Walker's inaccurate target rate was 21.4%. With Dorian Thompson Robinson, it was 26.3%. Yeah. So not only is he getting volume, he's getting access to more quality targets. Uh, Texans, 29th in the NFL yards for target allowed to outside wide receivers. And Joku basically is a wide receiver. Over the past nine weeks, we don't even have to do the Flacco splits. Over the past nine weeks... David Njoku has been targeted on 27.4% of his routes. He has a 25.2% team target share over that span. Only Sam Laporta has more touchdowns than David Njoku. This is a nine-game sample, not a two-game sample, with the, which yeah. everyone knows these, he's had these two awesome games. This is a nine-game sample of him getting that type of volume uh houston is no team faces a higher share of targets to the tight end position than houston given the structure of their defense teams target tight ends against them 26.9 percent of the time as a default they're not bad like on a per target basis to tight ends but because they face so many targets to tight ends they're 31st in receptions lob per game uh so njoku is in a really good spot to kind of get there and then you look at devin singletary he has two games now this season. I know they played in overtime last week, but he's two games this season now where he has 30 touches. No other mm-hmm. running back has multiple games of 30 touches this season. So even if it's – like the Browns are a very volatile run defense. They're number one in the NFL in yards allowed. Per carry before contact, they allow the fewest yards before contact. but They also allow the most yards after contact per carry. Yeah. They're a very volatile run defense. They will give up explosives and splash plays. So that's what makes it fun. Also, Devin Singletary, where he is priced at, and we're going to get to I sure Lions Vikings. Ty Chandler is tracking to be the most popular running back kind of in that price zone. So we're, we've got two guys that are bookending Ty Chandler that I really like this week. One is just from a volume perspective to Stevan Singletary and you've got Chuba Hubbard, you said in your run fest uh, in Carolina, but yep. uh, Ty Chandler is going to be immensely popular on the slate where he's priced because he had a 90 cent, Ninety-six percent backfield share, and so this is, uh, you know, a, a pivot slash leverage play with uh, Devin Singletary in these tournaments, and you've got like an inherent stack that costs you nothing. Exactly,
0: and look at this roster. I mean, this is like a game environment that playing both Nico Collins and Devin Singletary with the Cleveland overstack. And we're still not,
1: like, fully pressed for salary. Because you don't even defense either. There. Like, you add a defense exactly. and you're, you're, you got two 5Ks, you get in, you're, you know, you're, you're cooking.
0: Yeah, don't do me, bro. Uh, I'm just <laughs> uh, but this this is what I'm saying is, like, these balanced builds are extremely intriguing. And I think there's some interesting spots where we can take that approach. Uh, I mean, you throw Mike Evans into that roster uh, with Evan Ingram. Uh, that old double tight end build. And we're we're cooking, man. There's some upside to be had in some very, very unique and different ways to approach the slate than I think the field will. So love that. Love that shout. Uh, let's go over to Detroit and Minnesota since we, uh, we talked about um, Ty Chandler here. Um, I'll just throw it over to you, man. Tell me what you're seeing from the spot.
1: Yeah, and listen, I understand if you're playing, like, I don't think this is a great cash game slate if people are playing it, but like from a tournament perspective, we're in the same boat We I think we were in with Ezekiel Elliott last week, where the larger the field size, the less you should be interested in rostering Ty Chandler. Uh, especially at his ownership. Uh, I'm excited for, for him. I like him as a prospect. Uh, you know, I hope he continues to do well. He had, like I said, 96% of the backfield touches. But if you look at Minnesota from a top-down perspective, they've run the ball well against two teams this season. The Cincinnati Bengals with DJ Reader out and the Denver yeah. Broncos. Two teams that we have targeted, no matter who the hell they're playing, to get rushing production. They have not efficiently run the ball against anyone they shouldn't be running the ball well against this season. So they are facing a team that has just shut down backfields this entire season. I mean, the Lions, third in the NFL, yards are carried out to running backs. They're seventh in rushing points allowed per game to running backs. Guess what? They're also seventh in receiving points allowed per game to running backs. They actually have good linebackers. Uh, So, like, Ty Chandler, as much as I understand, like, the volume perspective, this is not a spot I'm overly intoxicated to chase the field with, especially as the large, as the field size increases. Um, there are other ways. I think this game are very, is very much provides an avenue to stack uniquely uh, and access through um, to, to get creative, but I don't think Ty Chandler is it.
0: Yeah, I am uh, 100% in agreeance. And the reason I highlighted this game as one of those games that the game total is kind of surprising to me is these are two very good defenses. Um, Yes, the Detroit Lions are giving up a ton of points. I mean, they are basically in the same vein as the Indianapolis Colts. They are a breeding ground for like offensive production this season. Um, That said, all the things you mentioned about the Lions against the run, equally and inversely, uh, is how they are basically perform against the past they are not mm-hmm. good against the past they are giving up explosives they are giving up perimeter work but we have nick mullins on the other side like yes i get it we've got justin jefferson we have jordan addison we have tj hawkinson i get it that's a lot of talent but we have nick mullins on the other side and we have a minnesota defense primarily this is what is most interesting to me from this spot is brian flores man This guy has completely turned around a franchise's defense faster than I can remember anybody doing anywhere. They went, they, this Minnesota Vikings team has the greatest differential in points allowed per game last year compared to this year 6.2 points per game fewer allowed this year when compared to last year. It is almost a full touchdown plus PAT per game fewer they are allowing this year. We know how they're doing it. They're doing it via the blitz but what i respect the most out of what um Flores has done this season is he's made tweaks to what we've seen him do in the past. I mean, he's always been this high blitz rate defensive coordinator, but he's typically played a ton of cover 1 and a ton of man coverage behind that. Mm-hmm. This year, he's up to league average rates of man and zone and he's throwing these blitz packages at very very uh very very varied at varied frequencies and at varied situations as in he's not just waiting until second and long third and long to blitz he's throwing it at you at first down popping in the face it's very interesting to me what he has done with this defensive unit and the fact that we have strength on strength as far as looking at the the lions versus this vikings defense and then Mm -hmm. relative weakness versus weakness because we know the path of least resistance against the Lions is through the air and we have Nick Mullen starting. It's it just it opens up this like widening range of outcomes for this game environment. Now you add in the fact that this is the first time these two teams are playing this season and they play again in two weeks and it's a divisional matchup with playoff implications on both sides. And it just carries this wide range of outcomes where I don't know if this game should carry the second highest game total on the slate.
1: Um, Yeah, that's my read on the situation. Yeah, definitely there's a path to failure for this game. Uh, you know, obviously the Lions are either you know, they're gonna get steamed up for a little bit in the game total stuff. Um, but there I think that this game does become an interesting large field stuff through the through the Lions side, I think more so than the Viking side, although there are plenty of bring back options. And it's because we talk about like the context of quarterback on this slate. And from what I'm looking at, like Jared Goff looks like he's gonna be severely underowned for his range of outcomes. Now, I definitely believe there's a, a path to failure here uh for Jared Goff but I think when you look also at this quarterback slate there's a path for Jared Goff to potentially be the QB1 on the slate as well uh we did see the Vikings when they did face a more competent passing game and it's funny to talk about Jake Browning and the Bengals as a competent passing game yeah Uh, it feels that way but I mean I mean he was 20 of 27 after halftime in that game and like Goff has that way with Ben Johnson to be kind of surgical against all these zone looks uh to 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 have the sim- similar type of success, I believe, and you know, we've seen him. Uh, Denver, the Denver defense was on equally as much of a heater coming yeah. into last week, and golf through five touchdowns um uh, you know we we can't ignore the golf like indoor stuff right like it, it's not a true road game for golf like i mean the dude has he's averaging 8.1 yards per attempt you know indoors this season we've seen him go to la and cook he's has 21 touchdowns uh you know indoors so like there's still is a path for him to have a ceiling which is i why i like him in larger field where it looks like he's going to be not that popular um also like so like Cover two has given the Lions a ton of problems this year, but the Vikings also do mix in like a lot of single high cover three stuff. And against cover three stuff, like Goff's been a different animal. And it's because you know, attacking cover three, uh, you know, you've got he's got two guys that just eat in the middle of the field, you yeah. know, and Sam Laporta and Amon Ross St. Brown. Only C.J. Do- CJ Stroud and Brock Purdy have a higher rating against cover three than Jared Goff this year. So I do think there is a path, and it makes it interesting to play through the golf side. That's
0: also very interesting because cover three typically allows an opposing pass offense to just basically target their first read. Uh, yeah. It's like, who can win in the first five yards of the line of scrimmage? I'll get you the ball. Um, so Ron. yeah, very, exactly. <laughs> very. And the other side of that is like, who do you pair with, with Jared Goff? Do you, is it a must double? Do you pick and choose between Amon Ra and Sam Laporta? Do you throw in a Jameson? How are you attacking that
1: spot? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Jamison for the first time is hearing in more routes than Josh Reynolds in a game last week, career high seven targets, obviously didn't get there. But I think when you look at a salary, people will get to him as well as you. We didn't talk about Parker Washington, but like Parker Washington's like down yeah. down there. People are, those are the two guys people are going to look for to kind of free up salary. You don't necessarily have to jam those guys in because we just talked about like where are we paying up this yeah. week? But that's why I think offers the path to do like a golf, Amon um, Ra stacks. I mean, if they, if we do get like that cover three looks or just enough cover three, right? Like Amon Ra is going to, he's absolutely destroying, you know, cover three coverage. Uh, no yeah. wide receiver has more receiving yards against cover three this season than Amon Ra St. Brown. Uh, also, he's six in the NFL in yards against the Blitz. You know, obviously the Flores blitz stuff's different, you know, getting into the weeds of those splits for the reasons you said, like he's not playing a lot of man coverage behind these blitzes. It's not like Wink Martindale, right? Like we're or Todd Bowles. We're blitzing a lot. We're going to go cover zero or cover one. Like when he's blitzing, he's sending like a cornerback. A linebacker, he's dropping alignment and coverage. Yeah. Like, you know, we're getting a I lot of it's fun Super stuff. unique. Yeah. Super unique. <laughs> getting a lot of fun stuff from Flores uh, this week. But I do think, like I said, the Lions that I definitely do kind of want some unique exposure to. Uh, also, I think Jameer Gibbs is able to be paired in this. Like, he's yeah. in kind because we talk about like where are we spending up at running back this week? We know Gibbs is a high ceiling. And although Minnesota's really good against the run, they, unlike the Lions, Are bad against running backs in the receiving game. And I think that's what opens up, you know, Jameer Gibbs to potentially be a stacking partner with golf as well. The other side of that question is the Lions have actually
0: been one of the more game environment sensitive teams this season. As in, we know that they, yeah, we know that they want to or they would prefer to run the football. I mean, they average 29.3 team running back carries. The problem with, picky choosy here is it's a fairly even backfield split in neutral game environments we see in positive game environments Dave Montgomery has that 20 plus uh touch upside we see in negative game environments Jameer Gibbs is typically the guy approaching 20 running back opportunities because of his robust pass roll but in neutral game environments these two are relatively evenly split in workload mm-hmm. it's kind of a, the same discussion to be had with the pass catchers I mean, we know that so much of this pass offense runs through Sam Laporta and through Amon Ross St. Brown. But in the same vein, Amon Ross St. Brown has three games all season. He added one last week where he has put up 100 yards and a touchdown. And that's what he needs at his now 8200 salary tag. Um, He needs to put up 100 yards and a score for him to be GPP viable. That has led to only four games this season for Amon Ross St. Brown, where he's put up a GPP viable score at his week 16 price. Um, He did one, one of those games. He put up a GPP viable score without uh, hitting a hundred yards and a score because he saw like 16 targets. It was like a 16 target game. All that to say, do knowing that this team, this Lions team kind of is, is game environment sensitive if you are playing a Lions stack, you 100% must have a member of the Minnesota Vikings on that roster because yeah. they are going to need to be pushed to kind of break beyond a just like four or five way even split of work, really. Um, and now that their players, Sam Laporta, started the season sub 4K, now that he's priced up, now that Amon Ra is priced up, Now that Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery are priced up because David Montgomery had that three touchdown game. Jameer Gibbs now, he has three GPP viable scores at his current salary. So these guys are all priced up. So in order for this team to be pushed, you kind of need to play a Viking with them. That leads me into like the next thought in that is it's hard to do because this matchup against the Lions is very hard to get a read on who of Justin Jefferson, Jordan Addison, TJ Hawkinson would be the likeliest to succeed. I mean, the Lions are running near league average rates of man and zone. We know that they are struggling via explosives, via perimeter work. But is that Jordan Addison? It's probably Justin Jefferson. But again, you're paying a pretty steep price here. So my point is it's very hard. So that's like that's a catch 22 or a double-edged sword for us. Because that means the field is less likely to do that, but it also means that the hit rate is going to be lower uh with less degree of certainty. So
1: yeah, that's, that's why I brought up lar- <laughs> that's why I brought this up as like a larger field. Yeah. Stack. I mean, because it is expensive. Like Jefferson plus Amon Ra plus Golf is an expensive stack in relative to the constructs of the slate. But I also believe that it is one of those combos that actually possesses enough ceiling in context of the slate yeah. to be a really lid lifter for four tournaments yeah and that's my point
0: is like we just got done talking about how this game probably has a wider range of outcomes mm-hmm. than the field is likely to uh notice um meaning the optimal way to play it is likely a stay away or a game environment bet which is yes. a a lions overstack plus a bring back something like that um so yeah i agree high upside um probably lower than perception hit rate which is fine for gpps because nobody's going to be on it Uh, which we're searching for ceilings. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, that's Um, the
1: way like we talk about, you know, we talk about all these game stacks and stuff, but like the types of tournaments to place these in vary. Like, so we talked about that brown stack, right? That brown stack to me screams like smaller field. Like, because if I get that stack right, what it does is it allows me to play chalkier players with that stack. And if I get that game right, then I, I have those assets that are more probable to hit. And that's going to lift me on just getting that one game environment right in a small field is going to be massive. This one has a wider, wider lens and the players are expensive. So, you know, this is something I want the gravity towards pushing towards as the the field size increases, um, you know, when I'm doing my game selection and where I'm placing my stacks that I've built.
0: Yep, 100% in agreement there. Uh, I suppose we should talk about this. Oops, oops, oops. Uh, suppose <laughs> clicking monkeys, clicking buttons. Again. 40
1: minutes and we did it. gets good on us to not get the Cowboys. Yeah, I suppose we should probably talk about this a little bit. Huh? Um, this is another
0: interesting spot where the field is likely to, now that Tyreek Hill, now that Devon Achan um, have been ruled in or are expected to play, that popped when we started the show. I'd expect the field to start getting to this spot a little bit more than um, would have been if these two guys were, you know, questionable until lineup lock. Um, With that, kind of adds to this sense of, I know where I'm going to spend my salary now. We have the two highest priced players in this game uh, in CeeDee Lamb and Tyreek Hill. uh, And now it adds to this kind of unbalanced approach from the field or the expectation for that. Um, Knowing all that, how are you approaching this? With the assumption that Ceedee Lamb is still going to garner ownership, Tyreek Hill is still going to garner ownership.
1: Yeah, I think similar to the last three weeks, we've been in this spot, right? We've been in this four o'clock spot, and you and I, the previous two weeks, and I, I'm, I'm not going to say what I think you're going to say, but I think you might be in agreement. Like for the third straight week, it's one to hard stack this game. and three, there's or two, there's another clear path to failure for this game. Uh, like. So, I mean, we have three weeks in a row now. It was Chiefs-Bills two weeks ago. It was Bills-Cowboys last week. And it's this week. This game has a lot of variables to it. And, yes, it could absolutely pop. Like you said, your large field stuff. Like you said, it's a game environment you either go in on. And it is hard to go all the way in on because everyone's expensive in this game. And the Dolphins have no ancillary pieces, which is the problem. Uh, And – to build around in this slate. So it's like, if this game does fail, like it's, it's almost a stay away. Right. Like, and, and, and if you don't believe that the game is going to get there uh, because Tyreek, who openly said, like, he doesn't know he's gonna be able to cut, <laughs> Yeah, Like, you'll love paying 10K for a wide receiver who openly says he's not going to be able to cut. Uh, you, we have now, for the first time last week, Jalen Ramsey asked to shadow Garrett Wilson. Asked Vic Fangio to shadow yeah. Garrett Wilson on the, on the perimeter. Now, will he shadow CeeDee Lamb to the slot is the question. Because CeeDee Lamb plays 50-50 inside-outside. Garrett Wilson does not. He moves around. Doesn't play in the slot a lot. Because... Uh, Jalen Ramsey's only played five snaps in total this season in the slot. Now, we know he's capable because he played that star position in – in LA he basically wasn't a strict slot receiver his previous two years before the season uh because he was like that you know almost like it's like that hybrid linebacker slot corner role that he was in with the Rams we know he's capable but it is an interesting wrinkle that he openly went to Vic Fangio and said hey I'll I'll just lock Garrett Wilson it's granted the quarterback plays different here uh but it is gonna be interesting to see if Jalen Ramsey does want to take on that assignment again because that's the Cowboys other wide receivers they aren't any good Like Brandon Cooks is a solid player, but like from a DFS perspective, like he's touchdown or bust. Just go through Brandon Cooks game log and see what games he was using and what games he wasn't. Like he's gone, he's had two games where he's gone over 70 yards this year. Uh, And then Jake Ferguson is the kind of the only other cowboy bring back that you kind of like are entertaining, right? Uh, That's what makes this game so damn hard to stack and the Dolphins side the same way. It's you've got Tyreek, who maybe not be 100. percent You've got Jalen Waddle, who I think is more interesting in this. His splits with and without Tyreek got to him in the 11th hour last week tremendously. Yeah, carry me last week. And then you've got these two running backs. Now, what I think the field wants to do, because the field loves shit that just happened, right? Yes. You watch this Buffalo Bills team run down Dallas's throat. The initial thing is like, whoa, what is Mike McDaniel gonna do? Yeah, to this. But the, the, there's a couple pulling parts here that I think are different, and they're up in the air. One is the state of the Miami offensive line versus the Buffalo offensive line. This Buffalo offensive line has now been really good for like the last several weeks. This Miami offensive line is not, and it's treading water. And you look at Raheem Mostert; he got there from a touchdown perspective last week but he averaged his he few, fewest yards per four contact, his second fewest in a game this season. He got there through touchdowns, not through efficiency. And I don't know if this Miami offensive line is in a state to where they're going to be able to just line up and run for 266 yards, right, like on the Cowboys. Uh, yeah. If he does want to use a back, Similar to James Cook, obviously that would get us the Devin H hand to maybe create some of those mismatches that he created with that James Cook and the Bills were able to create. But I am still cautious about this Miami offensive line versus this Dallas front. Because even though Buffalo only dropped back the pass 19 times last week, Dallas pressured Josh Allen on 11 of those dropbacks. So I still think it is one of those things. Like This game could definitely be like low 20s, like 24-21 type of game, 26-23, something like that for sure. I am with you to be honest. And we look at the state of this slate. The
0: top 2 wide receivers in salary come from this game. Two of the top 4 running backs in salary come from this game. The top 2 quarterbacks in salary come from this game. So, where how like the paths to overstacking a a game like this are very very slim. It's very very difficult to do. You throw in one of the two highest-priced quarterbacks with one of the two highest-priced wide receivers, and you are treading water almost off the bat. So, um, yeah, I agree. This is very, very – I am more inclined – we'll put it this way. I am more inclined to bet on a more suppressed game environment because of the state of the Miami defense, because of the state of the Dallas defense because of the fact that Dallas, and we talk about again, take this with a grain of salt, but has stark home road splits as far as scoring goes on offense. We saw it last week. Um, this is just a spot where I would much prefer to bet on some of these other game environments where you can stack them up fully. You can bet on the game environment erupting um, because at ownership, if Tyree kill, even, you know, at 10%, 15% ownership, at 93, 9600, 9600. If Tyreek Hill puts up 150 yards and a score, it's not that much of a separator score. Yes, like raw points on a slate like this, where raw points might be hard to come by, um, always are important. Um, but when you're talking about like now relying on Jameson Williams or uh, Josh Reynolds or some of these other like low price guys that we mentioned before um, in conjunction with a guy like Tyreek Hill, I would much rather like go balance this week. I don't know. I'm just that's how I'm seeing things. Uh
1: yeah, we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, it's tough. I think if you like it, if you really like an isolated piece of that game, you could play it. But as far like you can't overstack it, it's it's almost it's really next to impossible to overstack it anyways, yeah. if you even wanted to. Uh, but that's really the way to attack it. And then if you just like we've been the last two weeks saying if you believe it is gonna be, like you said, a suppressed environment, then you just kind of let it lie. Yeah. I'm uh, I am
0: team stay away of this late mm-hmm. game which is scary being the high game total of the week coming as the last game on
1: the slate uh, but that's
0: yeah that's where I am at
1: But absolutely. also if that game like goes nuts like say it does lead let's say it's like Cowboys Seahawks on Thursday night a couple weeks ago uh-huh. th- th- you're not going to get dragged because nobody can put all these pieces in one damn lineup
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah 100% and it like I don't know from the context of like what this slate is, what it presents to us, the way that salary is working out the winning score in GPPs. And we're talking like big large field, like Millymaker type stuff um, is probably going to be around 235 points. And we've seen this like suppressed production around the league. We've seen like, we had one week earlier this season where like a 210 score won the Millie maker. It was insane, but we're going to need less points. So that is like, Again, creates this like catch 22 situation for a guy like Tyreek Hill, where raw points like begin to matter a little bit more when you need fewer of them to win a tournament. Um, but it, when it affects the rest of your roster construction on a slate like this, where we don't really have projectable value outside of some of the running backs that we mentioned, we'll talk about that, or I guess we've talked about that um, up to this point in the show. But yeah, it just it, it starts to stretch you too thin. And now we're talking about like you're taking shots on those um, those wide receivers who are going to project for like sub uh, 10 point medians. So like single digit medians like your Jameson Williams and the guys that we mentioned. So, yeah, it's just a very interesting dynamic of the slate. What this singular game uh, kind of means to the
1: slate. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people want to play it. It's going to be everyone's gonna be watching it. There yeah. I'll be watching it. I'll be locked in. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no, was... it's, it's fun the way the NFL, it's you know, I don't love the way they split this up. They said the NFL waged war on Christmas this year. But yeah, uh the way the nine games fell in isolation on Sunday on the main slate, it created this really, like I said, this this is wide vortex of what can happen, man. Uh, on the slate. And I love it. I love that this this feels like such a, a wide open tournament slate. Yes, and I we, we love those uh,
0: in the game theory world. Let's talk about this third afternoon game. You mentioned the fact that Justin Fields, DJ Moore, are going to garner some significant ownership. Oh, yeah. I'll give you one quick talking discussion point to get us started here. DJ Moore, top five wide receiver against man coverage this season, near NFL average against zone. We know the Arizona Cardinals are one of the zone heaviest teams in the
1: league. What do we do with that setup? Yeah, I mean, it's a Justin Fields MO, right? Like, you know, counterintuitive to probably people believe. Like, Justin Fields is awesome against the Blitz. When Justin Fields mm-hmm. plays football, he's great. Like, yes. just plays football. Backyard you ball. You see everything. You see all of the talent. He, he, he drips everything that got him drafted. But when he has to process, hold the football – This is where Justin Fields has kind of fallen apart and the question marks come with everything that that we've heard for three years about Justin Fields. So there is that this is what makes this slate interesting to me is that Justin Fields is by far tracking to be the most popular quarterback of slate because he's the one guy that has kind of the archetype that we talked about that that drag. You know, so like people are going to get to him. He's that one guy that has that archetype. He can run for potentially 100 yards and a touchdown throw over 200 yards against this you know we always call it the passive cardinals defense they don't get pressure on quarterbacks Mm -hmm. they don't blitz they don't do any of those things um so yeah but he's so that's why we only need justin fields to not even fail but to just like if justin Fields has 22 points we're, we're, we're out we're in great shape we're yeah. in great shape, man. Like we're 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 wide open with our Flackos and our Bethards and our Baker Mayfield, and, <laughs> oh, and even well, going like, like yeah, we're we're, we're eating good. The um, real kings, yeah. Uh, you, you all... that's where, that's kind of where I'm at with this. I'm more curious. Do you think? Because I have, I don't know what to do. Maybe you can add some more clarity. We've always attacked the Cardinals with a mm-hmm. running back. Literally every week, give me any running back versus the Cardinals. Like they're getting just absolutely crushed. What are we doing with this bears backfield? The problem is you're going to get three of them. <laughs> what do you do with
0: that? What do you do with that? I mean, let's look at their snap rates. Let me, let me pull it up on the screen here. Let's look at this backfield snap rates over the previous through two games where, uh, well, we have back to week 10 where we have three of the games where uh, they were all healthy. Let's pull this up here. What do you do with this, man? Look at week 15, 14, and 11. 33% snap rate, 24%, 43%. Week 14 with all three healthy. 28, 55, 17. Week 15, 49, 26, 23. You
1: can't. <laughs> you can't do anything with that. Like it's a mess, what? man. Just an absolute mess. But yeah. let's say the Cardinals don't show up. This is Remember, this is the first time in Justin Fields' career he's been a favorite by more than a field goal. That is like, wild. They are home favorites. Like what if they just run the ball with all three of these guys the entire game? Yes. And what if I'll put it this way, how I'm viewing this game. And
0: that's why I was kind of shocked to to hear you say that DJ Moore, Justin Fields were some of the highest owned ex- expectation guys on the slate. If I were to say, say the Chicago bears were aliens invading the earth. And I had to pick one defensive coordinator to design a defense to stop them on the football field. It would probably be this Arizona Cardinals coaching staff, (laughs) because like you mentioned, what you want to do to defeat Justin Fields, the alien is you want to make him think you want to make him have to process. You look at the Cardinals. They don't blitz. They clog the middle of the field and they give you these unique looks off of this shallow too high shell. That is built to make quarterbacks process. So yeah, like that's kind of how I'm seeing this. I don't see the upside. Yeah, it's the Arizona Cardinals. Man, I
1: can't get there myself. Yeah, like I said, I mean the archetype like alone like is going to draw the ownership on this particular slate. And, and and Justin Fields does have good splits when he's not pressured. But I think from a just a true upside stance, like the odds that Justin Fields puts 30 on us is are pretty low. I think they're actually reduced in this spot.
0: Yeah, I would concur with that. All right, we got four and a half minutes left, man. We're gonna get out the door. I want to hear some of your out the door Hail Mary shots for this week.
1: Uh, what do we got for kind of Hail Mary's? I mean, like I said, I, I think like Chuba Hubbard is fine where he's priced on this slate. Just you know, not to pick on your Packers, but they haven't—they're not stopping well, the run. I might have hundred percent Chuba. I might, <laughs> yeah, especially because of the Ty Chandler stuff too. It's just yeah. inherent uh, to get away from him. Uh, we oh oh, we got—we only have three weeks to play, dudes, against the Commanders. Three weeks left. Yep. And I know no one are, is going to want to. I do think people will get to Brees Hall. Because of the context yep. of the slate, but Garrett, do not let Garrett Wilson go overlooked. And I don't care who's throwing in the football. It's going to be Trevor Simeon, by the way. They announced that Zach Wilson's out today. But whoever it is throwing him the football is going to try, and, in the context of throwing him the football, he's going to get 30 plus percent of the team targets. And at his price point against this commander's defense, like I'm in still. Check this out. I mean, Trevor Simeon came into the game
0: right before the half of week 15, right? Against Miami, where they're already down a ton of points. Garrett Wilson ended with four targets. But did you know, fun fact, six of Trevor Simeon's first 12 pass attempts in this game before the starters were removed, went to Garrett Wilson. Two of those were uh, negated by penalty, one on the Jets and one on the Dolphins. Six so Trevor Simeon yeah. looked at Garrett Wilson's way. Half of his first 12 pass attempts in this game. That's something I'm interested in. Like, like you said, just get this man the football <laughs> against the commanders. And yes, I agree. I started the week like, oh, Brees Hall is it in this spot, right? He can um generate the explosives on the ground. He is involved in the pass game. Then I started thinking like how would I attack this spot if I'm sitting in the Jets shoes? And obviously their identity is based around their defense. Um, but I would be looking to get my alpha going here. Uh, so
1: I love Garrett Wilson. Um, any more out the door shots here? Uh, no, I like him. Uh, I'm I'm a little bit loosely interested in DK Metcalf, but I think we covered most of the ground that's, I don't think if there's anyone else that seems like we really covered all the talking things I wanted to get to you know like that that brown stack buck the bucks game uh yeah there's some mild intrigue in Colts Falcons but like are we doing it again are we doing it again that was the other game the third game uh, that I
0: went through that I was very very shocked at the game total this game also the game you mentioned the Colts and the, the Falcons has one of the wider range of outcomes on this slate we have two very different competing Um, ideologies of how their identities of those teams. We have one hand, Frank, uh, not Frank, right. Shane Steichen is one of the more dynamic game callers and game managers quick to adjust. And then on the other side, you have a guy who's (laughs) just going to beat his head into the brick wall for who knows how many times, and it could be three different running backs. So yeah, I'm in the same uh, boat there. What do you think we should do with this Arizona Cardinals offense real quick out the door? Now that Marquise Brown has been ruled out, is this a spot where we're back to
1: the Dorch well? Or is
0: this like you're just playing Trey
1: McBride? Well, since Kyler's come back, he's targeted wide receivers 47% of the time. The only guy at a lower rate over that span is Desmond Ritter. It's really just hard to trust like the upside. I don't mind like like Dortch is like a throw at the wall for target purposes, but like I I just don't know if in the slate we need it, right? Like we talk yeah. about Jameis Williams and Parker Washington. Like it's hard for me to say, like, I have to have him in my lineup. Uh Trey McBride, I think you can continue to play. I mean, he's just absolutely getting he's got he's at twenty-nine percent of the team targets since week eight. Yeah. Like that's a tight end with almost a 30% target share. Like that's Travis Kelsey type stuff. Travis like Kelsey last year type stuff, <laughs> and the Bears actually also are a terrible matchup, or are, are a great matchup. They're, they they don't yeah. they don't say they're better against running backs and wide receivers than they are tight ends. So it is a great matchup for them to continue those that kind of avenue of just getting Trey McBride touches. And Trey McBride also not one of these guys that just like kind of came out of nowhere. Like this is the MF and mackie winner from a year ago. Yeah, like the dude can play. Hundred percent,
0: love that. That is going to do it for this week. As always, I'm Hilo. He is Rich. This was Searching for Ceiling presented by One Week Season and Sharp Football Analysis. Go check out our home ports there. And until next weekend, good luck. Happy holidays. We'll see you at the top of the leaderboards. One
1: Week Season.